It's the Marx Brothers Council Podcast, episode 35, This Magnificent Chest. Happy spring, baboons, and welcome back to the podcast that's expecting a nanny goat in the morning. I'm Noah Diamond, and we have a lot to talk about this time. And believe me when I say we have a lot to talk about, I know what I'm talking about. So let's get this going. I am here, as always, with the Velvet Fog, Matthew Cogna. And I'm coming to you courtesy of all pure evaporated milk. It never touches raw tin. <laughs> and crazy legs, Bob Gassell. So we're re-recording Eddie Deason again, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, for everyone who's been asking, when are you guys going to do an episode about the Marmon Clamp? This is not <laughs> that episode. Instead, we're going to talk about the Marx Brothers TV collection, the 2014 DVD set from Shout Factory, which contains over 10 hours of television appearances, mostly, by Groucho Harpo and Chico Marx. Uh, guys, I'm going to come right out and say it. I don't care how controversial it is. The Marx Brothers were great. I really like these guys. And, <laughs> you know, by definition, this set, which is indispensable. We should say that right off the bat. If you're a Marx Brothers fan, you want this on your shelf. It's the most significant release of previously unreleased Marx Brothers material we've mm -hmm. ever known. Um, by definition, because it's almost all TV appearances from the 1950s, and it's mostly solo appearances. It's very rare to see more than one Marx Brother together in this set, although there are some great examples of that too. Uh, it is inherently not from the prime of their career. Nevertheless, uh, the collective impact of all these pieces of video, to me, is just how touching it is. You know, these three guys were consummate entertainers at a stage in their career when they'd been in show business uh, almost as long as anyone alive. Uh, here they are, you know, still going out in front of an audience and, and giving it their all. Yes, I mean... Um in the way that somebody who falls in love with their films can sometimes be surprised to learn that they had all those years on stage before they'd even stepped in front of a movie camera. Um, nobody, I think, is in any danger of stumbling upon this, loving it, and then being amazed to learn that they also made films. I mean, it, <laughs> yes. they, are, they are obviously uh, people trading on, on some form of previous legacy. Um, so it is, it is strictly for people like us who literally can't get enough of them. Uh, it's, a, it's something that can we can actually use to prove that we can't get enough of them but i agree it is um a, a lot of it is is very poignant and uh much of it is is very good fun and it's all very very interesting yeah and as we learned during their film career they were just so dependent on good writing and i think this uh set really bears that out uh as the marxists were just guests on most of these shows the writers obviously weren't schooled in how to write for them and I think for Groucho and Harpo, at least, uh, the biggest laughs come from their own ad-libs and improvisations. Uh, Chico is another story, uh, but we'll get into that. Um, you know, to be honest, several of the shows here are just pedestrian at best, uh, but there are a number of real gems here. Really, there are. And even in the ones which aren't so exceptional, there are often fascinating and you know, insightful moments, which I think real Marx fans will, will appreciate. So I'm excited to talk about this. Yeah, they also set themselves up with these very specific character choices pretty early in their career. And yes, I, over the course of this collection, you see with varying degrees of success, 
you know, numerous approaches to making those three characters work in the context of um, the sort of early era of television. Um, so, so we have selected a number of pieces from the set to talk about in detail, um, and we're going to go through the discs in order and uh, and hit on them. And this might be a good time to mention that, uh, at least for our friends in North America, that a number of the clips and shows we're going to be talking about are on the ShoutFactoryTV.com website for free. So just go there and type Marx Brothers into the search bar, and you'll be able to watch a lot of this stuff. So you'll be able to follow along. Yeah, we also might mention that when it was originally released, there was a limited time opportunity to get this set directly from Shout Factory with a fourth bonus disc. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> the the heart of the collection is the three discs that you get when you buy it. But um, mm. there was this limited time offer. Um, and the fourth disc, the bonus disc, does have some of the best stuff in the collection on it. Mm. And... Because it's uh, such a limited supply situation, you know, the way to see that stuff is uh, you got to find a friend who has that fourth disc. Um, like the three of us, invite us over for dinner. We'll bring the disc. <laughs> we'll have a great time. Although some of those clips are available other places if you know where to look. Yes, indeed. Yes. So uh, we don't have a moment to lose. So should we dive right in? Sure. Um, well, when you open this collection and put the first disc in, um, you are likely to begin with The Incredible Jewel Robbery. We discussed it um, in some detail back in episode 16 of this podcast, which was called After the End of the Marx Brothers. That's um, it's not what I get when I when I put the disc in. When I when I put the first disc in, I get a message that says wrong region, and I have to get <laughs> I have to go and get my my multi region player. <laughs> yeah, and I get Ronald Reagan's puss. In my, in my <laughs> yeah, well, it is it is significant maybe that of the two GE theater pieces in this collection, only one makes us sit through the Ronald Reagan intro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Jewel Robbery, for those who, who may not know, is from March of 1959. It is a mostly silent uh, Harpo and Chico adventure with a Groucho appearance at the end. Yes, and in fact, that that raises a point, which I should have made earlier when I said about, to some extent, they were, they were trading on, on past legacies. Um, what you get very strongly in this and elsewhere is that of the three of them, of course, Groucho was a legitimate TV star in the way that the other two were not because of You Bet Your Life. Uh, and particularly his involvement in, in this production uh, is very much in the capacity of, of uh, visiting TV star, um, which is, you know, very different to how Harper and Chico um, are used throughout the set, isn't it? Very true. It's a little surprising throughout this collection to see how Groucho was already um, an icon. His image was already, you know, uh, this piece has uh, a use of Groucho glasses. I think it's one of three or maybe even four pieces mm -hmm. in, in this set where yeah. Groucho's appearance is, uh, is, uh, is evoked with uh, or invoked with Groucho glasses. You know, I like this well enough. It certainly is charming in its own way. But it's not particularly funny, um, and that's not because the gags don't work. It's because there aren't really a lot of gags in it. There are a surprising lack of actual attempts at humor, which is weird because this is not a heavy drama. It's not a insightful story. It's supposed to be humorous, but they don't even 
try real hard to be funny. It's like a almost a semi-comedy. Um, you know, when you look at the background of the writers who did this, they didn't have a background in comedy, either before or after. So my guess is that this was sitting on the shelf and somebody pulled it off and tried to squeeze the Marxes into it. And like room service, they didn't try hard enough to adapt it to the brothers. My guess, um, I mean, I think you're right. Uh, you know, full full credit to you for coming up with that idea because I, I do think you're right. My guess is that it may probably have been written as a silent piece, as a as an exercise, a novelty exercise in can we do can we do a half hour that is completely silent, um, mm. and was written in that capacity, but not necessarily as a silent comedy. And it mm. was very late in the day. Maybe even um, Chico and Harpo, you know, the uh, Gummo had had made it known that they were available if there was any work for them and then somebody right. said hey hey we've got that silent thing that'll that'll be good for them uh and then it was very very hurriedly converted into a, a comedy or, or or as bob says a, a semi-comedy yeah and if you really look at this thing virtually all the laughs are just little flourishes by harpo little improv things that he probably did on the set they certainly weren't in the script mm. Dealing with Harpo's silence is an ongoing challenge uh, in in television, and you see it come up, and you see various ways of solving it, or at least addressing it, throughout these pieces. In this case, it's put him in a silent piece, take away Chico's voice, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and just cast him in a silent piece. And there's there's uh, there's another bit like this, too, later on in the collection, Harpo appearing in a sort of silent film parody, more or less. Yeah. And I think it's um, it's right up there with making him play charades as a solution to <laughs> how to how to put Harpo on television. <laughs> and then, of course, at the end of the incredible jewel robbery, we do get that unbilled Groucho cameo because he was in contract on another network. And the missed opportunity to put Zeppo and Orgummo in the police lineup behind them. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not put Zeppo and Gummo in all these pieces, though? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, one clip that is pretty familiar to fans, and there's a, a lot of this on, on the collection, things that you have seen because they've been on YouTube for years. And if you're into the Marx Brothers, you have seen them, although probably not in such high quality video. Um, this is the Jack Benny program uh, from April 3rd, 1955, um, in which Groucho appears um, and and. Benny in character as Ronald Forsythe, although it was Rodney during rehearsal, <laughs> appears on a sort of mock You Bet Your Life. You're a musician, Mr. Forsythe? Yes, sir. I'm with the uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic Orchestra. Oh. I w- I'm the first violinist there. You could have been the first violinist, period. <laughs> uh, I love this clip. This has always been one of my favorites. Gretchen's ad-libs are actually the best part, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, when you think about it, he's basically just playing the straight man to Benny here, um, although he does turn it around on him a couple of times, especially the one moment where uh, Benny's talking about some fella and Groucho asks Jack his name. And this is obviously <laughs> off script and Jack doesn't have anybody in mind and is just sitting there trying to stop from laughing. And I think he's just afraid to say any name because uh, he doesn't want to get anybody in trouble. So he says nothing. <laughs> yeah, and it's also kind of a joke on Benny's um, inability to improvise, right? Yeah. You know, he's like, "You wouldn't dare say that to me if my writers were here." You know, <laughs> he can't he can't make up a name on the spot. 
Another thing that comes up a bit is Groucho melding so easily as a kind of ad hoc double act with another great comedian. Um, he, he also does that with Jackie Gleason on mm-hmm. a, another one of these selections. You know, you can kind of, it's a might have been. Groucho and Benny could have been a team and um, their personas sync right up together, um, particularly the jokes on Benny's uh, cheapness. Mm-hmm. The deadly pause that Groucho offers after he says, for $3,000... You know, it's a great, great silent laugh. I feel a little sorry for the woman um, contestant who just has to be bent over and kissed um, first by the male contestant and then by Groucho, after which she looks distinctly uncomfortable. Uh, after after Groucho releases her from that, she's uh, she's thinking of England. <laughs> This was one of Groucho's favourite things he did, wasn't it? He kept his own copy of this, apparently, uh, and would often often watch it. And he was very, very proud of of, of that sketch. Thought it was one of the best things he'd done on television. Uh, And it is is very, very nicely done. I I love the bit with with, with Benny trying to guess the secret word and, you know, the rugs and all that stuff, you know. Yes, all I have in my house. And he looks so good with that moustache and that wig, you know. He he looks really, really funny. And, uh, yeah, it it is a lovely little piece, I think. As far as I know, that never happened on You Bet Your Life. There were no bad faith attempts to say the secret word mm. just by listing household <laughs> objects. Uh, I, I love uh, when Groucho rips that mustache off of Benny's face and he says, I thought so. You're Jack Benny. <laughs> uh, wonderful. That is that, that piece is definitely a classic. And if you've um, seen only part of it on YouTube, um, it's nice to see the whole episode. Um, nice stuff with uh, Benny and uh, Rochester at the beginning, too. Mm-hmm. That brings us to uh, one of the uh, Chico solo appearances on this set that is so interesting, um, especially in terms of uh, opening the door to a kind of might-have-been TV career for Chico. The makers of fresh deodorant bath soap and fresh cream deodorant present the musical comedy of campus life, The College Bowl, starring Chico Marx. Oh, are you the owner of this establishment? No, I'm the boss of this joint. <laughs> well, uh, that's what I mean. Let me introduce myself. I'm J. Remington Thompson. Well, my name is Chico Ravelli. Anything I can do for you? Uh, yes. You see, I own a large chain. That's nice if you got a big dog. <laughs> <laughs> ah, good stuff. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the college ball, Matthew? The college ball is actually my, my favorite thing on the whole set. Um, it's obviously not the best thing on the whole set by uh, by a healthy stretch, but it it is. I just adore it. I've watched it so many times. I've watched it many many more times than uh, than anything else on there. Um, there is something especially poignant, I think, about Chico's television appearances, um, much more than than uh, Harpo, and 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 obviously much more than Groucho. And this one kind of dedicated attempt to uh, to to really let him take flight as a as a tv star it just has a a, a very very wistful quality to it. it it i i love the setup i i love the simplicity of it i love the fact that it's not there's not loads going on that it's not a a busy sitcom you know uh, i i i love the i love the music uh, um and it's just full of poignant things there's um there's a line in there isn't there somebody says about uh cuz they think in this episode it, he they think he's going to sell up the um the place and go away and somebody said we see him every day but we forget how much we really love him mm-hmm. and i, I th- yeah too right um 
and there's also an extremely funny bit if you watch, if you show it to someone out of context. Um, there's a, there's a the song that they're all singing, uh, which is about Chico, but it it's, it sounds like a generic love song. And right. there's a wonderful moment where it cuts to a close up of Andy Williams. Uh, looking up, sort of towards the towards the sky, and he and he's he sings the line, "A love that's shining like a harbor light," and this picture of Chico yeah, appears. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, a really lovely big big laugh. Um, I also love um, the seemingly ad lib or semi ad lib quality to Chico dancing at the end. Oh yeah, at, at the very end, where Chico joins in the dancing in a, in a you know an amusingly crap way. Well, was the last episode. Uh, of the season so i guess they were letting their hair down a bit although i guess they were pretty sure they were coming back for another year i was going to ask you that actually do do all tv shows announce a new series regardless or or or, would, or does that mean that they genuinely did think it was coming back and then i think they were expecting to come back but i don't think they knew one way or the other for sure at that point um you know back then it was up to the sponsor whether they returned uh... a few weeks later it was in the papers that the show wasn't renewed for another year so there you go. All right. And obviously, he's, the fact that he's called Chico Ravelli, yeah. and everybody else calls him Chico, and he, yes. has, no, he has no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> you know, there's a group song towards the end there, and I kept waiting for Chico to, uh, to join in and sing a little, but he didn't. It's a shame, because he, he has, he has a, a fun, fun singing voice when he lets it happen. Yes. This is apparently the final and only surviving of 26 episodes of the College Bowl that were produced. It, it plays like the first one, doesn't it? There's, there's, there's yeah. very little going on in it, you know. <laughs> and let's not forget this was done live. You know, Chico has this reputation for not being the most uh, well-rehearsed performer. So this was quite an accomplishment for him. It's interesting that in this, as well as Papa Romani, which we'll talk about on, on the fourth disc, which is another um, sort of attempt to build a sitcom around Chico, um, in both cases, his character is more explicitly Italian than he usually was yeah. in the Marx Brothers films. It's clearly a choice. There's a little bit of that in the big store, I guess. But to give him a backstory, he really is an immigrant from Italy. Um, he's a kind of flavor of the old world. And there is no suggestion that he's a con artist um, pretending. Uh, Chico <laughs> Ravelli is really from Italy, unlike Emmanuel Ravelli. Mm -hmm. Moving along... Um, a lot of the pieces on uh, this set are from panel shows, um, and Groucho in particular excelled um, in this kind of format. There's an, a couple of great Groucho panel appearances. Uh, this one is um, is a Chico as Harpo appearance on I've Got a Secret. <laughs> Man, I so wanted this to be great, you know? It just sounds like such a fun premise, but... Uh... It's just, you know, it's a disaster. Chico does not make a convincing Harpo by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. You know, it's like my dad trying to do Harpo. <laughs> and not only isn't he a convincing Harpo, he can't even follow the simplest rules or mm -hmm. understand exactly what he's supposed to be doing. You know, honking the horn once for yes, two for no. He, he can't even just uh, can't, fathom that. Uh, just can't do it, can he? Uh, cannot, yeah. you know, it's, just, it's just a train wreck. $10 down and $70 to go. Bill Cullen, please. Uh, Harpo, is there more than one other person involved in this? Nope. One more. It's two for no and one for yes. That's right. Okay. <laughs> it's funny, after all the tales of them switching roles and, and Harpo and Chico <laughs> in, in their younger days being almost interchangeable physically, 
Mm. Yeah, although sometimes I wonder, too, is this just because we know these guys so well that to us, you know, the idea that that could be Harpo is ridiculous. It's like, it, you know, it, it could just as easily be Bill Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> and when it's finally revealed this is actually Chico, he leans over behind the desk and pulls off his hat and wig and you think, oh, we're going to see the real Chico. But no, he puts on his Chico character hat and wig and pops back up uh, with the Italian accent. So he doesn't want the real Chico being seen, uh, at least just yet. That's a great moment. I love the way he does that. Yes, you don't. You think, oh, are we going to get to glimpse the bald head? But nope. <laughs> you know, I get the impression that the only reason he even appeared on the show was to uh, get the uh, free carton of cigarettes that they <laughs> gave him as a prize before they sent him uh, shuffling off. Yeah, later in the set, there's another yeah. uh, I've Got a Secret clip with Chico where the same thing happens. Yeah. He, he <laughs> wants the Winstons. <laughs> I, I do like how this piece is sort of covertly a Marx Brothers act because mm-hmm. in, a, in a way it involves two of the brothers. And, you know, it has this kind of confusion about identity that is such a common theme in the Marx Brothers work. I forget which panelist it is who exclaims, oh, my God, he's Chico. <laughs> now, wouldn't it have been fun if it was the other way around? It was Harpo playing Chico, and he's trying to talk in an Italian accent. And the moment they discover it's Harpo, he doesn't, from that moment on, he doesn't talk. <laughs> he stops talking. I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's move along to um, one of a few clips in this set from the Colgate Comedy Hour of March 30th, 1952. Uh, there's a few pieces here. Um, this one uh, has Harpo and Chico and Tony Martin. You know him, you love yeah. him. <laughs> and an unidentified actor playing a police detective. I'm not sure who that is, um, but he's quite good. Uh, anyway, it's the knife dropping routine from Animal Crackers, I'll Say She Is, Home Again, and just about everything else. And it's a treat to see Harpo do this for a live audience. Yeah. Remember, honesty is the best policy. Crime does not pay. Sooner. <laughs> Sooner or later. So I was saying. got to be tough to do live you got to time it and make sure they don't all fall out at the same time and be able to get the dialogue in and you have to be well rehearsed to be able to do it like that yeah i I was thinking in some ways it's maybe an ideal piece for television because it could be any length Mm -hmm. you know i mean if you have a five minute segment or a three minute segment or a seven minute segment Mm -hmm. um it, it can easily last many minutes or you can do a, a sort of concise version of it, which is more or less what this is. But uh, when you see it on film in Animal Crackers, um, of course, the context and the era makes that feel very definitive. But, you know, the the audience is really an important part of that bit. Um, and the laughter has so much to do with the rhythm of the falling silverware. Yeah. Um, it's really nice to see. We'll come back to the Colgate Comedy Hour uh, for some of these other pieces as we proceed through the set. Uh, For now, uh, it's off to Matthew's Neck of the Woods for a a program called Showtime, October 4th, 1959. Uh, This is a Chico appearance. Chico, could I say that during the last couple of days I've enjoyed your company more than I can tell you, and those wonderful stories... I'd love you to tell the true story you told me about the little girl. Well, uh, right before I came to England, I went into a hotel, and a little girl, about three and a half years old, she came in with a baby carriage. 
Yeah. Had a little doll in. You know how you get when you see a little baby. Oh, what a cute baby. She said, it's my baby. I said, yes, well, can I be an uncle? She says, no, she's got three uncles. I'm looking for a father. That's all. <laughs> Is that a famous show, the Showtime? It wasn't a famous show particularly, or at least I've 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 never particularly heard of it. I think it just seemed it was a you know a generic variety show of which there were a great many. But the the guy presenting it, um, David Nixon, uh, was a very very big uh, big deal on on British te- British television uh, f- through the late fifties to the to the late seventies. Really, uh, he was basically he was a magician. By, by that was his actual calling. He was an extremely good magician, and he used to have a magic show. Um, but he was also a, a, a you know a light presenter. He was one of the regular panelists on the British What's My Line, as well, um, and uh, famous for his his bald dome uh, and great height. One of the reasons why Chico looks particularly small there <laughs> yes. uh, is because because Nixon was a, a very very big fella. Um, and uh, yeah, he's just a, he's just somebody that if you're of a certain age and British, you you your heart goes boom 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 every time you see him. He's just a, a lovely guy. Uh, so it's really really nice to see him and and Chico interact. I think um, most hardcore Marx fans had seen a snippet of that before. Uh, in uh, I think it's the um, the unknown Marx Brothers documentary, one of the documentaries anyway, uh, where he talks about a uh, little marijuana. Um, but it, it's just lovely for me to see the uh, the, the full bit. Um, which, we, I wish we had the whole show, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where that would have uh, come from. I, I think it's, apart from the uh, the Groucho, um, the British You Bet Your Life, I think it's the only bit sourced from, from British TV, isn't it? Oh. Yeah, I think I so. I think so, mm-hmm. yeah. What do you think of that bit with the uh, fake harpo on, on the piano? Uh, strange. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a, a, a British uh, piano player named Alfie Franks in a harpo wig doing the, the duet from the big store with Chico. Um, from uh, the same year, um, we have uh, the Dinah Shore Chevy show. Uh, this is another piece that has turned up in some documentaries and things because it is a valuable record of the song Peasy Weezy. Peasy Weezy, what's his name? Peasy Weezy, Peasy Weezy, what's his game? He will get you if he can. Peasy Weezy, Peasy is a bold bad man. Peasy Weezy was, I believe, the earliest piece of original material purchased for the Marx Brothers Act. Minnie p- paid uh, $27 for it in 1912. It was written by a vaudevillian named Charlie Van, uh, husband of Fanny Van, for all the Fanny Van fans out there who are wondering. And here it is almost 50 years later, and Groucho is still making sure Minnie gets her money's worth. He really loves that song. You could tell he's having a, he's having a good time. Yeah, and he and Dinah Shore are are charming together. I love watching them sort of faking their way through this choreography that seems to have been m- maybe slightly marked, but it's not terribly <laughs> not terribly rehearsed. Uh, it's it's one of a few pieces on this set that just Groucho's palpable joy um, is is mm. quite infectious. Mm-hmm. I think one of the best things on the set um, in general is that it does preserve a lot of uh, Groucho songs that many of us are familiar with from things like Carnegie Hall when they're sung like 
but you know mm-hmm. uh being being performed in a in a you know a really good full-on groucho way the yeah. peasy wheezy and the schnitzel bank and uh uh omaha nebraska there's a lovely omaha nebraska on there somewhere isn't there um it's they're, they're, you know that's one of the great values of the set i think is is uh, as as an example of the groucho songbook but in his prime and as much as groucho liked to sing well, he, he loved to dance, you know, at the drop of the hat. He'll, he'll dance for any reason. And, you know, he's still so graceful and he could cut a rug. And like I said, he'll he'll dance for any reason at any time. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he sort of dances in quotes, doesn't he? He's <laughs> like a, it's like a, a parody of dancing. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so funny and good. And uh, yeah, just the joy of show business. Also in the in the notes, the generous notes which accompany this set, written by Robert Bader, who's also responsible for uh, assembling this collection and for uh, finding a great many of the clips on it. Uh, Bader's uh, notes um, indicate that this dinosaur appearance is uh, the earliest color video of Groucho Marx. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, any last words on dinosaur? (laughs) She hooked up with Burt Reynolds later on. That's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how the dinosaurs became extinct. <laughs> um, well, the the final piece that we had uh, set aside to talk about in detail on this disc is is really a treat, and it's something completely other. Um, it's not a TV appearance. It's something extra that anyone who wants to own this set will be very happy to have. It's the Marx Brothers home movie collection, 23 minutes. But don't of, have the kids around while you're showing it. I'll tell you that. There is, there, <laughs> yeah. there is a little bit of nudity in this, in this collection. <laughs> uh, this is really something. I, I, if this were a standalone release, we would have bought this happily. Absolutely. It is narrated as well as scored by the wonderful Bill Marx, son of Harpo. Um, he plays a number of, uh, obscure and somewhat less obscure Marx Brothers related songs under all this footage. Uh, what are some of the highlights for you, Bob? Well, going chronologically, we start off, of course, with this uh, film of Groucho, I think on Long Island in 1928, which is obviously before Coconut. So it's our first moving image of Groucho. And what's surprising mm. there is that he actually seems to have some gray hair, you know? So, you know, he talked in the MGM days about them having the black in his hair but i guess he was doing it a lot earlier on because he certainly didn't have much gray in the paramount days yeah it complicates some of our observations about his look in coconuts distinct from his look in the other films because this looks more like the animal crackers groucho doesn't it Mm -hmm. uh there's footage for all you algonquin fans of harpo and wilcott and the gang um at lake bomo scene including uh some skinny dipping there's wonderful footage of uh, Yellow Jacket, which which I never in my life thought I would say in in glorious color. Yeah, that's yeah. that's fabulous. Uh, the other thing that that stood out when I watched it this time was um, on stage. Hop on stage does that that waistcoat trick from yes. um, from a night in Casablanca that that we mentioned. And he does it on Bill. Yeah. So it was obviously, you know, some little gag that he had worked out in his in his. Because uh, I remember when I, I I found a thing in, when I was researching in into um, Love Happy, 
he had a, a contractual agreement that any um, thing, any little trick or joke that he devised for the film that wasn't used in the film was then his for perpetuity. Uh, and it mentions, I think, the, um, the the hand with loads of fingers that turns up in in the beer advert ha- being something that he'd uh, he'd devised for Love Happy, but wasn't used. Um, so it it, I, it looks like he, you know, came up with all these little. Um, little gimmicks and and put them in his uh in his repertoire but the thing that strikes me most unfortunately about um about this section is is uh no chico um okay you know maybe unlike harper and groucho he didn't like taking home movies himself but but you know there's quite a bit of harper and groucho hanging out together uh you know where, where's chico well they said yeah, bill even said chico was off with other pursuits you know mm. <laughs> Yes, well, in his narration, yeah. that Chico is doing things that uh, you couldn't do on camera. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he, you know, it, it looks like he doesn't. He doesn't seem to have hung out with them much because I'm sure they would have if filmed it for posterity if he had. Yeah, you know, and and it would have ended up in in that compilation. It's uh, it seems like you know he was a more solitary uh, character. I think a couple of other things I noticed uh, along the way. Uh, there is a quick shot of Chico wearing. Uh, Regular glasses, not sunglasses. I'm mm. not sure I'd seen that before. That's cool. And Groucho is seen in 1930 wearing a beret. So the yes. beret actually goes back that far. Um, I really love the sequence where uh, they're out in front of the house and coming out one by one and Ruth is kissing them and sending them off on their day. And Arthur yes. comes out with a sheepish grin and gets a kiss. And he looks like Eddie Munster on the beginning of the Munsters. <laughs> Maybe some of you will get that reference. Um, and then Groucho comes out and skips off on his day. I, I really love that. And of course, we can't uh, forget the full-on, full Harpo. <laughs> yeah. So he, he knew he was being filmed. Yes. Okay. Who filmed it? And they're like, just keep filming. I don't know. He, he whips, <laughs> well, he whips yeah. off. He whips off the the suit, and you think, okay, maybe we'll see a little butt shot of Harpo, and then he turns maybe a little more than we expect him to. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we know that Harpo had this exhibitionistic streak, and Bill, in his narration, acknowledges mm. um, that Harpo. I think he calls him a a pioneering nudist. Yeah. And of course, sticking with my obsession with hair color, we can't forget the shot at uh, Ponyland from 1945, where we see yeah. uh, Harpo with bright, almost white hair. And of course, none of the shots before or after uh, show him with hair approaching that. So this is obviously taken during the uh, uh, filming of uh, A Night in Casablanca, where, as we've talked about, he dyed uh, what remained of his real hair uh blonde or platinum blonde and uh, wore fluff for the rest. Uh, so this is a rare shot of him during that time. Yeah, it's, a, among other things, an indication of the depth and vastness of this Marx Brothers River that we all sail on. Yeah. <laughs> when we were talking about Night in Casablanca, I think we even said, oh, I wish we could see a photo of Harpo with his, you know, the hair on the back and the sides yeah. dyed platinum blonde. And yeah. uh, we've all seen this before, too. It just, uh, you know, it comes and goes quickly. And uh, we're, we're old men with failing memories. And, uh, <laughs> but there it was. I found uh, some of the footage of Groucho, um, it is the Groucho Marx of the 1930s. I mean, it's the same man in those movies, um, but it's, you know, um, candid footage of him without makeup on. It's uh, There's something almost eerie about it. 
Um, I guess uh, the idea that the older Groucho was a real man, um, it doesn't seem to... Um, too compelling because we're so used to that. We've seen the Cavett shows and everything, mm. but seeing this Groucho, this this uh, Paramount and MGM era Groucho, yeah. uh, just go- goofing off with his family and this kind of rough close-up home movie footage, uh, it's uh, something of a revelation. And we get our only fleeting glimpses of uh, Zeppo in this section. Do we see? Do we do we see Gummo at all? I you know I don't think there is any no. of Gummo. Um, there are some. Nice pieces, though, with more than one Marx brother together. Uh, Groucho and Kay attending a birthday party at Harpo's house. And, you know, it's just a family. They're sitting mm. around in the yard watching the kids play. Yeah. Um, and a little bit of Harpo doing the silverware routine on stage with Bill, um, which is kind of a little extra bit of that for your, for your buck. Uh, well, before we move on to the second disc, um, I just want to mention a few of the other things um, on, on disc one. Um, there's a lot of commercials, and the whole set, throughout the set, there are commercials, um, including the Labatt's beer commercials yeah. with Harpo and a strange puppet. Um, many of our listeners have probably seen some of those. They are all here, um, along with a series of commercials for all pure evaporated yeah. milk. The concept seems to be... Um, we're going to sell cans of evaporated milk with Harpo Marx and a lot of scantily clad young women. And eagle-eyed fans might notice that the shirt Harpo was wearing during these spots seems to be the same one he wore in Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, and uh, Duck Soup. That plaid one that looks like it has a lot of colors to it. And one of the spots takes place on a, a real phony-looking beach, which almost reminds me of the uh, fake beach at the, in the opening of uh, The Coconuts. Um, And the notes that come with the set indicate that the um, inclusion of these all-pure evaporated milk spots, um, this is the first time they were seen since their original broadcast. Um, So there's those and other commercials. Um, We've also got the piece with Harpo playing I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles on a bubble-blowing clarinet on the Craft Music Hall with Milton Berle. I wanted to mention Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. Because I watched that um, for the first time in my life today. Um, and it doesn't make much sense, does it? I, I thought at first it was an extremely uh, clever way of, of integrating Harpo into, into, into a situation because he's uh, supposedly playing a, a Frenchman uh, and, and Mr. Smith can't speak French. So, so there, there's, no, there's no possibility of, of language being exchanged between them but then about halfway through we we learn that that he isn't a frenchman that he is actually harpo marx don't we right yeah in which case why can't he talk (laughs) (laughs) yeah it just doesn't make any sense you know if this is the real harpo marx why does nobody know who he is yeah and for anyone who's wondering it's a somewhat misconceived um attempt to turn mr smith goes to washington frank capra film into a sitcom and of course, we should point out that this is, I think, our last uh, look at Harpo as a performer. This is his final filmed uh, performance. Uh, he may have done some things on stage afterwards, but uh, this is our last look at him on film. Um, I wanted to mention the All-Star Review uh, from 10 years earlier than Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Um, disc one has two clips from the All-Star Review. Um one is Harpo doing a piece um, with an opera singer played by Mary Fenn, which was apparently part of his 
stage act at the time. Um, and this bit, basically cutting the skirt off a opera singer mid aria, um, is is amusing. And perhaps even more so, a sketch from the All Star Review with Harpo and Milton Berle and Dinah Shore and uh, Harpo's Palm Springs next door neighbor Rosalind Russell. Is it an infomercial or a skit? (laughs) Yeah. It ends with all four of these iconic Hollywood legends (laughs) chanting, Del Monte brand catsup always puts the flavor first. 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 Well, they do. Yeah, they do, (laughs) don't they, over those those people at Del Monte. It's the best catsup. (laughs) But there's something sort of charming about these legends, isn't it? Sort of gamely chilling for the sponsor's product. Um, I think if it were a more contemporary television clip, it, it would seem cynical. But it seems, I don't know, you know, these people have been all over the country. They've been vaudeville stars. There, you know, there's uh, decades of show business among them. Um, and yeah, all right, what's the copy? I'll read it, you know. <laughs> always puts the flavor first. Milton Berle delivers that line just as though it were any joke in his vast catalog. <laughs> All right. That might, that, oh, oh. And then two other uh, pieces that are on the first disc are um, the seventh stag reel from you bet your life. Um, a reel of clips that were not used on the show because they are filthy. That's like that old joke, you know, the girl says, she says, oh dear, I'm afraid I'm going to wind up an old maid. And I say, I'll bring her in and we'll wind her up together. <laughs> Real old joke. <laughs> uh, the first six of these stag reels are available, by the way, on the two You Bet Your Life boxed sets that are available from Shout Factory. Um, these are always amusing. Um, and then the uh, showdown at Ulcer Gulch. What are we going to say? I must watch it one day. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sh- Showdown at Ulcer Gulch is an industrial film. Um, it was made for the Saturday Evening Post's advertising sales department by Seamus Culhane, mm-hmm. who is an important figure in the world of animation. And he's also Maxine Marx's husband and Chico Marx's son-in-law. Um, so among the celebrity cameos here, Groucho has one line and Chico plays a little bit of piano. Well, although we do see Chico in character, in color, which is somewhat rare. That's true. Yes. Is this the only example of that? Yeah, moving, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> there are, I mean, there, there, are, there are color photos of his uh, Inside Beverly Hills bit with Groucho, aren't there? But, but not, not color footage. Co- color footage, yeah, I, I think you could be right. Yeah, you know, when you watch something like this, you think a little bit the same way you feel with a movie like Story of Mankind. Like, ah, you've got you've got Marx Brothers on board, you know. <laughs> but the point here wasn't to revive the greatness of the Marx Brothers. The point was to make an industrial promotional film for the Saturday Evening Post's advertising sales department. Yeah, and when you got Orson <laughs> Bean, why do you need anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he acquits himself fairly well, actually. He really makes the best of it, I think. Anyway, I would say for completists only, Showdown at Ulcer Gulch, 1958. Mm-hmm. Well, switching discs now. Just a moment. Uh, what do you think about the Red Skelton Hour, Bob, 1962? 
Well, let me start by saying that I think Red is quite talented. I think he, he gets overlooked a bit when you talk about the comedians of the era. He He's quite good. And unlike many of his contemporaries, he has a good edge to him. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our new hour show. It's really, we're all excited about it. We were even going to pray for its success, but the Supreme Court said we couldn't. <laughs> Although I am going to agree with something that I think was Stan Laurel uh, said about him, and that he hated when uh, Red laughs at his own material, laughs at his own jokes, which he does a lot, uh, particularly during the uh, opening monologue. Uh, that's my only issue with him. Other than that, I think this was a, a really good show. I liked how ambitious they were with their skits, um, particularly this first one where Harpo plays an angel. Sort of reminds me of Deputy Seraph in, in concept. <laughs> Red Skelton is in this bizarre love triangle with the two different versions of his wife. Yeah. Um, and what happens to him at the end of this sketch? The two women Trentino him. Oh, yeah. He gets stuck in the doorway <laughs> and they start throwing fruit at him. He gets yeah. totally trentino oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Harpo and Red Skelton and Satan descend down into hell. Mm. There's a nice gag in the elevator. Uh, the elevator opens and Harpo's inside and Skelton asks him which way he's going and Harpo pantomimes sideways. Yeah. <laughs> There's no denying the um, charisma of Red Skelton. Um, I agree about the laughing at his own jokes, but I can also see why uh, Groucho is very generous in his um, comments about Skelton in, in Groucho and Me. Uh, he nominates Skelton as the successor to Chaplin. Um, that may be a bit of a stretch, but um, it's true. Uh, Skelton really did have something special, and um, he's very he's very engaging and very enjoyable to watch. Uh, his opening monologue here has a lot of the freeway was murder jokes in it. I wasted or spent a little time um, <laughs> reading about Patrick Kearney, the freeway killer. Um, who confessed to his first three murders um, earlier the same year that this was broadcast. Not sure if that's what's being referenced, but it might be. It's certainly a, yeah, certainly an in-joke that, that they get, and you get the feeling that it's a joke with a slight edge to it. But, yes. But that, that would be a hell of an edge to it for the time, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he does, he does some political stuff. You know, he's not afraid to push it. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah, actually. Uh, yeah. Hmm prayer in school yeah. you know they um but it didn't do any good the school is still there something like that <laughs> i also want to mention the other skit they did um one with the war and the two soldiers engaging each other it was another attempt in an all silent uh skit which they like to do with harpo and i think it works well i particularly like the one bit where red pulls out his wallet and shows the photo of his girl back home and then harpo pulls out his wallet and i was sure he was going to show a picture of a horse but I was wrong. <laughs> he opens it up and unfurls it, and there's a hundred girls' pictures in there. Yeah, I like that sketch. It's interesting to see Harpo in working in a completely different costume, uh, except for his wig. Um, we see that a few more times on the set. Um, now, for a change of pace, uh, Groucho's fairly serious, dramatic role on uh, another episode of GE Theater this one uh, from January of 1962 called The Holdout. Uh, you wrote about The Holdout in your book, That's Me, Groucho, Matthew. Uh, yes. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it? On the one hand, I think it, in, in its modest way, it is um, 
a, a reasonably successful example of uh, Groucho doing something totally different, um, you know, as a straight role as a as an anxious father. Um, at the same time, obviously, it is the proof that anyone needs that he, he you know, he couldn't have done Death of a Salesman or right. or, or anything of, of, of serious import. Um, it, it's strange that it was offered to him. It's strange that he wanted to do it. Um, I know that there is... Um, people like to see comedians in in tragic roles or or grotesque roles or things of of that sort but but it's just, just to just play a you know right. a, a, a very very ordinary dramatic part is is very unusual um it's a shame obviously that melinda is not playing the daughter as as was originally uh, mooted i mean i find i find it fascinating to to watch he he obviously isn't overselling anything he does get one joke doesn't he he gets one little laugh um, I, I quite like the scene where he's he's rowing with with Fred Clark. That that I think that that <laughs> yeah, they almost kick, come to blows. Yeah. Kicks up a, a bit of a bit of steam, but uh, the rest of it is it's a it's it's a very strange endeavor. You know, he's upset with his daughter about the relationship that she's in, and I kept waiting for the uh, you know the horse feathers Groucho to show up, the one who's upset with his son for his relationship <laughs> with the college widow. Yeah, I I. Sometimes I think it's a little bit of a flaw, although Groucho acquits himself very well here. It's like, why wouldn't this father be a little bit funny? Mm -hmm. You know, why wouldn't it's like they're just willfully making Mm. sure Groucho doesn't do any comedy. But, you know, you could imagine a version of this where this father, John Graham, put that on the list with Jay Cheever, Lou Paul and Quincy (laughs) Adams Wagstaff. Here he plays John Graham. Uh, you know, it wouldn't be out of the question for him to just say something amusing now and then. And some of the lines do feel like the setups of what would be Groucho jokes mm. in any other piece. How about when he says, Fred, death is the common hazard and common fate of everything alive. With a hey, man, man, he had a hot cha-cha. <laughs> One other thing we should point out here, Groucho was 71 when he filmed this. The woman who played his wife was 42. And they have a 17-year-old daughter, so... Do the math. Yeah. <laughs> you do get the feeling, don't you, that it is quite an accurate picture of what, what Groucho was like as a father yeah. and as a husband. It, 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 if you read the, the biographies of Groucho, it, it's, it seems like he possibly one of the things that attracted him to it was, uh, you know, he was, he was, he was quite interested in, in, in the problems of youth and, and yeah. the, the generation gap and all that stuff, you know, and he, and he had very sort of old-fashioned views on it, uh, or comparatively old-fashioned views on it. And a lot of it does strike me as, as a, you know, a slice of life, Shea Groucho. I think this is a really well-done and compelling drama. And let's not forget, you know, we got Dennis Hopper here as the likable young chap. Uh, but to be honest, I think Groucho is the weak link here. You know, he doesn't really add anything to it. He's not, you know, compelling or he doesn't create a new characterization where you go, oh, that's a side of Groucho I haven't seen. I just think he delivers the lines and gets out of the way. And, you know, he's supposed to be the centerpiece, but the show is at its best when other people are, are speaking. It's a little awkward that because as you point out, Matthew, he he, it, there is something true to life about this. Yes, it does reveal a bit of Groucho's uh, conservatism around the the uh, gender dynamics of uh, the mid twentieth century, and so it's not. It is both 
a change of pace for him because it's non-comedic, but it's not a great stretch. You know, if he were playing like a hard-boiled cop or something, mm. we, we we might have, um, in a way, it, it might be a little bit less um, strangely adjusted. Uh, I want to mention Fred Clark, who plays um, who plays uh, the 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 friend who he who Groucho has that scene with, where he he says, "We're going to go to the mat if you make one more <laughs> remark like that." Uh, Fred Clark is a terrific character actor. He does a great job here, as well as in dozens of classic films, yeah. including Sunset Boulevard and A Place in the Sun, and Auntie Mame, one of my favorite uh, non Marx Brothers movies, which. Um, which does reference the Marx Brothers and include a Margaret Dumont cameo. Um, but lest you think too well of Fred Clark, he is also in Skidoo. <laughs> there was no chance this was a pilot for a series, was it? I think the GE Theater was all standalone pieces, wasn't it? It would be a good series. <laughs> Just him, <laughs> him having an easily solved problem with his, with his daughter every week. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's something too. I think what this this subject matter might have had more dramatic weight and currency, um, you know, in 1962. Um, it doesn't seem like an especially dramatic subject now. Are the are these kids a little too young to get married? Mm. You know. Oh, I should also say, in case anybody's uh, interested, if you uh, are familiar with the book The Groucho Letters, uh, this this is the production that. Uh, Jerry Lewis is referring to in uh, an exchange of letters that's in that book where Jerry writes to him and says how impressed he was with his uh, dramatic performance on television that week and Groucho replies and thanks. For some reason in the book it says uh, time for Elizabeth um, but it isn't time for Elizabeth, that was later uh, that's an editorial um, addition that is wrong mm -hmm. so uh, what, Je what Jerry's talking about there and being very effusive in his, in his praise of is, uh, is the holdout Huh uh, well, absolutely uh, worth a look um, at uh, at Groucho's uh, acting range. Uh, well, I think that takes us back across the Atlantic again. Um, it's 1965. Groucho's having a go at it on British television, doing essentially a retread of You Bet Your Life, cleverly entitled Groucho. You know, this show has a bad reputation, but I absolutely loved it. Uh, at least this episode, you know, is Groucho dealing with 1960s personalities as opposed to uh, 50s personalities, which we've seen, you know, a ton of on You Bet Your Life. So this this was a whole new dynamic. And it's 1965, and Groucho is as sharp as ever, or at least the writing is as sharp as ever. What are you doing over here in Britain, Philip? I'm studying the um, Islamic manuscripts in the British Museum. It's got the best collection of it uh, in the world. I know the British Museum very well. I was on exhibit there for two years. <laughs> and it's just a shame that we didn't get to see more of Groucho in this decade, you know, dealing with the social change, you know, going on around the world and talking to hippies and so forth. It's just, you know, it's too bad that it, it ended so quickly. Yeah, I couldn't believe how good it was when I saw it. It's yeah. it's an absolute mystery to me that it that it has such a bad reputation. I think it's as funny as only the very very best episodes of of You Bet Your Life. I think all four contestants uh, are extremely funny, and he gets he gets a, a hell of a lot out of them. The the guy that makes sundials, obviously being being uh, hmm. being the best. Yeah. Um, are you referring to the Arabic language scholar yes. who wants <laughs> to make machines that make musical instruments? Yeah. 
<laughs> and sells two sundials per year. And there's there's a really beautiful moment, very very well judged by Groucho, isn't it? Where he's been talking to the other contestant, to the girl for a while, and then he suddenly turns back to him and says, "Are you awake?" Um, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I just thought that the the, the the whole program was was really really um, exceptionally funny. I've seen it with an audience as well, uh, and it and it killed. Um, yeah. And where, and where else are you going to see Groucho mention the Beatles and talk about Otis Redding? Yeah. Come on. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it, there seems to be a decision, or maybe it's a coincidence here, of with both pairs of contestants. You know, it's a sort of fabulously impressive young woman with a kind of funny, oddball man. Yeah. Uh, both times. Uh, the second of the two female contestants, uh, whose name is Glenna Foster Jones, mm. Um, she's extremely sharp and a, a great and unusual foil for Groucho in her own right. Uh, she also went on to something of an acting career um, and appeared in the 1980 film of Flash Gordon and other things. Yeah, not just hasn't done much, though, unfortunately. I, I, I kind of went in search of her. I tried to track her down. She is still alive and she is still kind of she does re- poetry readings and things. But I, I, I wasn't able to, to get hold of her. But uh, she just turns up here and there through the 70s in um, in sort of sitcom, uh, you know, in the background roles and things. I've seen her do a couple of um, presenting gigs as well. Uh, I mean, she kept, you know, she kept in, 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 uh, in employment, but she's very, very striking. And, and as you say, very, very sharp. And uh, it would have been nice to, to have seen her uh, do something substantial after that. The, the other woman is also very funny, isn't she? The kind of the Sloney Chelsea yeah. uh, type of girl, particularly her answer, uh, Bunny, uh, to uh, the, the question about um, what's, a, what's, it, what's a female rabbit called or something. It's a, it's a question about rabbits anyway, and her, her answer is Bunny. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, her name is Leone something. Mm. And um, that she and Groucho get into a good back and forth about over the expression with it. Mm. Um, and which Groucho turns into half-witted. <laughs> um, I also love, this comes up a lot on You Bet Your Life, but there's a supreme example of it here too, where Groucho occasionally will scold a contestant for not knowing something. Yes. Says, oh, you, mm. you should have known this. It was mm. Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointed schoolmaster. Um, what about this uh, this British version of George Fenneman, Keith Fordyce? I think this is. Yes, he he was um, he was a just a lightweight presenter. He's most famously for um, Ready Steady Go, a, a pop music program. So he was kind of, he was a DJ. Um, uh, again, I just missed him. Unfortunately, he he lived in uh, my hometown of, of Plymouth um, and died a, a few months before I, I started writing the the Groucho book. So uh, another one I missed. But yeah, a, a, you know, a minor figure of of British television and radio. He was very adept at switching the hats with the questions. <laughs> Masterly. Did Groucho do a season of these uh, these uh, British quiz shows? Yeah, he did. He did thirteen of them, and um, the, the you know they weren't particularly um, popular with with audiences, and various reasons were put forward uh, as for why. The, the 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 one that I'm most persuaded by was the fact because we didn't have you bet your life over here, we didn't see it at all. So the last we would have seen him would have been some vague memory of of Love Happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people might have been expecting uh, the old, something more like the old Groucho, and it was just a bit of a, a bit of a culture shock and a bit of an adjustment that that you know we would have made if 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 British uh, TV seasons were as long as American ones, i.e., twice as long as that at least. Um, you know, 
uh, I'm sure we would have made the accommodation. But that that's that was uh, apparently the the most likely reason why it didn't uh, it didn't hit. Well, did you bet your life end up having a big run over there? Did it become popular? No, no, we never had it. It was it was the first time it was ever shown on British television was about two years ago. Ever? Oh, okay. Well, I ever. Oh. Yeah. We had we had the Bill Cosby version for a little while, <laughs> and I doubt they're going to be rerunning that soon. No, <laughs> basically in the 1950s, if th- this is the problem with you about your life, is that it falling between the two stools of comedy program and quiz program. If um, if an American quiz program was felt to be very successful and worth importing, we did our own version. Right. Uh, so we had our own what's what's my line and and so on and so forth, yeah. uh, and so that that would have been the problem there. You know, um, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have shown it because there's all this talk of dollars and things, and that would have confused us. Um, but at the same time, there was really no not much point in mounting a version of that quiz because it's a nothing quiz. So it, it fell down the crack. And I'm guessing all the DeSoto plugs were problematic as well. Exactly. It is interesting to see Groucho functioning in an era where the the Groucho persona, which was really so recently modernized for You Bet Your Life, is now just beginning to acquire a little quaintness, you know? Mm. He, he's now in a world where a, a woman on the show might say, uh, you know, you can just stop asking me about my love life. Thank you very much. Mm. You know? <laughs> and seeing him react is just as yeah. priceless. Yeah. But, but, and he's not afraid to still go in for the kisses. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. His first, the first thing he says when he's interviewing um, the first couple, Leone, he tells her she has very pretty thighs. Yeah. That's his opening line. <laughs> That's... Uh, of course, a very enlightened and not at all cringy gender politics <laughs> moment. Um, well, uh, also, uh, some of the supporting material on the second disc of this collection um, includes a, uh, a celebrity golf thing with Harpo mm. and Palm Springs. By common uh, consent, the best of their three collaborations with Norman MacLeod. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, how about the championship bridge with Charles Gorin episode featuring Chico? And featuring Samsonite official championship bridge furniture provided by Schwader Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Not the only brother act on the set. <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? Because there are, there are three uh, that they, they each get a chance to do a, a, a bit of tedious sports television. There's yeah. uh, Gra- Gra- yes. <laughs> Groucho playing pool later on. That's fairly deadly. Uh, you know, Chico playing bridge. Not much conceivable more boring than that um the, the celebrity golf one is is odd isn't it because um harpo comes on and makes a, a big show of of saying he wants to give his winnings to three pretty heavy duty charities there's one about jewish christian oh, yeah. togetherness or something and and, a, and a, a mission in los angeles and then spends the whole episode just pissing about and not not making <laughs> yeah. any effort to win any of that money that's right why didn't they get harpo to play bridge with chico then you got something Yes. <laughs> and then you got something. Yeah, during the Charles Gorin thing, it's a little, you can't not think about the bridge game in Animal Crackers. Yeah, and it is a shame because this is such a historical uh, appearance, you know, with him out of costume and out of character. But we're not seeing the dynamic fellow who all the ladies, you know, flock to. That guy's not really to be found here. He's, he's somewhat sullen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he couldn't uh, ad-lib like Groucho, so he couldn't really rely on going back to his stage character here. Um, so while it is interesting, it, it's sort of sad in a way. Yeah. 
He does feel very constrained by his early character choices. But I find this appearance interesting because, as you say, Bob, he's he, he seems not to be in character. Um, and he's just in his street clothes. Um, and he, he speaks several times. Um, it sounds like, ooh, that's, that's Leonard Marx. At one point under his breath, he says to his partner in the bridge game, he says, I wish I had Harpo here instead of you. He's, I think he says Harpo understands that hand. It's a little hard to tell what he says about nine and a half minutes in, but that's an interesting moment. Um, there's a moment when he says to, um, this bridge playing woman named Edith Kemp. He says, oh, you're a doll. And it seems very sincere. And you you see a a flash of the seductive Chico. Um, There is a moment, though, where he jumps up to shake his partner's hand and congratulate him. And there he goes into the Italian accent. He says, thank you, partner. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice partner. And it's, it's interesting. It, it feels like he is not in character, but is sort of, um, He's evoking his screen character yeah. um, the same way, you know, any of us might slip into a Groucho impression in conversation. He's sort of, it's a little reminder of what he did on film, um, but he's not, he's not committed to the character here. It finds him in a strange limbo. Now, I don't know the first thing about Bridge, but from what I've read, because of the hands he was dealt, Chico wasn't really given an opportunity to shine as a bridge player. It's surprising, isn't it? Given all the stories we know, that uh, there's that there's this actual priceless footage of him playing bridge, and it and it's a bit of a. We've also got two more uh, clips from the March thirtieth, nineteen fifty two Colgate Comedy Hour, um, including uh, a bit with Harpo and Chico in one in front of the curtain um, doing their piano duet. Um, probably a real taste of their Vegas act and some, some lovely moments in it. And the other Colgate comedy hour is a a piece with Harpo accompanying a ballet on the harp along with uh, some more commercials, uh, an RCA Victor show. I really like this uh, skit, uh, him as a waiter. I think of all the TV appearances, this might come closest to his uh, movie character. He's very energetic. Uh, you know, the, his early 1950s shows are much better than the later 50s ones. Uh, so this is really, really good. I, I think it's perhaps the best of his solo TV spots. It's a, a great use of the gookie. Yeah. Um, there's a, a piece from a show called the U.S. Royal Showcase, 1952, uh, which is another silent Western sketch with Harpo. Uh, an awful lot of Western stuff. Mm. Uh, there's several sketches, plus showdown at Ulster Gulch. They were going to do Westerns until they got it right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it, it really has a lot less to do with Go West than with the popularity of Westerns at the yeah. time. Uh, A show called The Swift Show Wagon from May 21st, 1955. Um, This has some of my favorite stuff on the set. Um, What do you guys think of this? It's Groucho in Chicago uh, talking about vaudeville and doing a few songs. Oh, it's the one where he does Schnitzelbank. Um, Yeah, uh, uh, Schnitzelbank is is obviously a bit of a a gem Mm. here. Um, Traditional German song that the Marx Brothers sang from their earliest incarnations in vaudeville. And again, you can see just how much he's enjoying it. Yeah, he's having a great mm. time. It's das nicht ein Schnitzelbank. And the audience, which knows the song, it is, I guess, largely a German audience in Chicago. They're right there with him. Mm. They're having a great time, too. And 
they know the call and response part of the song and it's a list song like the 12 days of Christmas. Every, every verse gets longer and longer uh, with a long list of items. Um, he also sings Father's Day, assisted by a barbershop quartet and a old man in a long beard <laughs> in a in a rocking chair. <laughs> Do you think that quartet was supposed to represent his brothers? They don't. They don't read as the Marx Brothers in any way. But it is Groucho and these four guys singing to their father. And of course, we get yet another Hackenbush. The uh, that that great lost Marx Brothers song that there are about four thousand <laughs> examples of him doing. <laughs> yeah, this is one of two Hackenbush performances on this set. If you count the bonus disc. For me, it's the slightly lesser of the two, but um, he does it in the old grease paint makeup. Mm. Yeah, he didn't mind uh, putting the old grease paint on when he wanted to uh, evoke the old character, like here and in uh, Copacabana, but he didn't want to be the old character. So there really wasn't much of a difference. Yeah, uh, Groucho rarely seems to have offered any particular insight into his character. Um, And I'm not sure he even thought of it as a character. It seems like that's just what happens when I go out there and do comedy. Mm. I can't think of a time when Groucho ever said, oh, my character wouldn't do that. Or, you know, he didn't have um, uh, dogmatic views of who he was playing. I think that moustache and eyebrows actually have, have a, a hell of a lot to answer for, don't they? The, the, uh, the, the, you know, the fakeness of them. Because if, if it wasn't for that, and that does seem like a fairly, you know, whichever story you want to go with, if you want to go with any as to how it came about, it, it does definitely seem to seem to be a very arbitrary decision. Um, if it if it weren't for that, we we probably wouldn't really be talking about a sharp distinction between between two Groucho's at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. Many times over the course of this collection, you get to see this era Groucho, the You Bet Your Life era, organic mustache Groucho, doing material that either is from his earlier career or is suggestive of it. Um, and yeah, he, um, in the other, the other Hackenbush clip that we'll talk about, uh, down the road a bit, um, he's perfectly, uh, able to do, you know, MGM era Groucho, um, at least without making any adjustments. And the audience is equally comfortable. Mm. You never think, wait a minute, this character seems not to have painted his mustache <laughs> on. <laughs> um, how about the Pepsi Cola refreshment musicale? Of 1957. Yes. Um, it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nothing piece, really. It's very, very short. Uh, there's nothing much to it. But I, I just, I love the look of it. I, it's, it's one of the great arguments against film preservation. I think the fact, the, 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 <laughs> the, the degraded, uh, you know, muddy reds that, that bleed into every other colour uh, just gives it a, a gorgeous look. I just love looking at it, and I love the design of the old Pepsi bottles as well. It's you know, a vis- it's a visual feast. Yeah. So that's what you took out of this. It's very happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, I know I know that John Teftella and Eric Grayson are listening. So. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> this was a break during an NBC live 
telecasts in color of Annie Get Your Gun starring Mary Martin. Um, and this piece with Harpo was one of several breaks throughout the evening. Uh, this is an idea that's really come back in style. These live musicals on television. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a number of these in the last few years. Animal Crackers could have been the first. Mm. Mm. I know. Yes. Yeah. And, and we will, we'll see a little bit, uh, an even more tantalizing taste of what that might've been like. I guess I should quickly explain what we're talking about here. Um, I think it was in 1954. Chico was uh, quoted in the paper as saying that the brothers were considering doing a live uh, modern update of animal crackers on TV. Um, nothing ever became of it, but uh, it's fun to contemplate. Um, okay. And then we have a clip from a piece called the Sunday spectacular inside Beverly Hills. 1956, one of two clips from this program, which this collection offers. Um, as I said at the top, it's pretty rare to get more than one Marx Brother on the screen together in this set. When you do get that, it's almost always Harpo and Chico. Yeah. Uh, but here we have a little bit of Groucho and Chico doing comedy on stage in front of a live audience. Yeah, and it's just a few seconds, which is, God, what a shame. You know, this is it as far as Groucho and Chico on TV together. Unless you want to count the end of a jewel robbery. Yeah. Um, and yes, there's precious little of it, but but it's great. There's a little bit of good uh, animal crackers flavored mm. banter between them. It really makes you wonder why why couldn't this have happened more often? I, I don't think it would have cost Groucho anything in terms of his own independence and his his career as a solo act to do, you know, be a TV star and host the quiz show. And then once a year, do mm. a Marx Brothers TV special. Yeah, you know? like Bob Hope. Yeah, just like a couple of times a year. Yeah, uh, yeah. seemingly Groucho just really didn't want to do it. He did not want to be the Marx Brothers anymore. And we should point out that in, in newspaper articles uh, promoting this special beforehand, it said that Gummo was going to appear, believe it or not. Uh, but he didn't uh, for whatever reason. Instead, we got Cedric Hardwick getting his dog groomed. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, um, I guess the other two items of note on disc two are the Perry Como show um, with Groucho. This is where he sings, uh, there's a place called Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and then there's a, a Harpo, uh, Harpo Speaks promotional appearance on I've Got a Secret. And Johnny Carson um, before the Tonight yeah. Show, uh, dramatically outclassing the other contestants in terms of the ability to interpret Harpo's pantomime. Yeah, he does, yeah. I like that uh, McCall spot with uh, Harpo running around the books, going yeah. after the woman. It has sort of an Ernie Kovacs feel to it. Yes, and a, an early use of a chroma key-like process, yeah. isn't it? With Harpo sort of cut out against another video background. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, well... Taking out the second disc and putting in disc number three. Clean it off first. Yes, that, that's the one with Chico on it. Oh, by the way, the um, the Drew Friedman artwork on the cover of this collection um, is a little bit of a it's it's a nice little bit of fantasy. Um, as we said, you know that this is mostly a set of solo appearances by the three major Marx Brothers, but Friedman's cover art sort of imagines a 1950s era Groucho, Harpo, and Chico in the vertical ladder pose that they that they return to so often in their earlier career. Mm -hmm. 
Um, all right. Well, disc three starts off with a bang. Um, a silent bang. Um, yeah. A silent bang. Yeah. Uh, the DuPont show with June Allison, this, this standalone piece um, is called A Silent Panic. Uh, what do you think of this one, Bob? This was surprisingly good. It actually had sort of a Twilight Zone feel to it. Yeah. Uh, Harpo does a nice performance. Um, you know, there's comedic elements, dramatic, and, you know, when you got Hogan's Heroes veterans in the <laughs> cast, like uh, John Banner, uh, you can't go wrong. Yeah, I, in some ways, it's a um, a more successful attempt to do what they did with Groucho in The Holdout, yeah. um, because Harpo is completely disconnected from his old character here. Um, you know, you never think, oh, I wish he'd give someone his leg. You know, I mean, it's just not what he's, <laughs> you know, uh, the absence of comedy doesn't feel like a factor here. Um, he's playing this role. It's obviously created with him in mind. But as far as I can tell, the only thing in it that connects it to the larger Marxian mythos is that uh, Harpo's character name is Benson, <laughs> which we know from Harpo Speaks. That was Harpo's name for anyone whose name he didn't know. Uh, he would just refer to them as Benson. Did you guys happen to know who, uh, notice who directed this piece? Arthur Hiller. Arthur yeah. Hiller, by a strange mm. coincidence. Mm-hmm. You will soon be able to hear us discussing another Arthur Hiller film uh, as guests on our friend Cinco Paul's podcast. Make him watch it. It's coming soon. Uh, this was an early piece. Hart Hiller was a TV director for years before he became a great film director. Um, and also, um, Bill Marks uh, is very visible in the crowd of children at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, watching Harpo through the window of a store. If you know he's there, you can't miss him. Bill makes quite a number of appearances throughout the set. He does, And he's yeah. the executive producer. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. He must have an in with some somebody <laughs> somebody in the Marx world. Yeah, and Harpo isn't just being silent. He He's actually created, a, you know, a real character here, you know, unlike what Groucho did in his dramatic uh, turn, you know. And I don't think it was just the makeup. Harpo conveys, you know, a lot of emotions and a lot of different things that, Groucho wasn't able to do. So this was a real success for him, I think. It's really impressive. And it opens the door to this idea that, oh, not speaking would have been a, that would have been a choice a dramatic actor could have made too. You know, I mean, um, as ever, Harpo's hard to write for, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it's, whether it's comedic or not, but, um, but some, a role like this, a slightly, um, I mean, the character is sweet and good. He's he's not playing an evil character, but particularly in the beginning when you don't know what's going on yet, there's a creepy quality to it, or as you say, Bob, a Twilight Zone quality. Um, and this part of him could have been explored more in film and TV. Although early on, you are sort of expecting him to do a charades routine, trying to communicate what, what's going on. This character can't hear either, you know, and it adds, it puts another... Um, brick wall between Harpo and the rest of humanity because he it's not just that he can't speak, he can't hear. Or draw. Or, or draw, yes. Or whistle. <laughs> or whistle. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really is something, Silent Panic. And I, I must confess, I'll, although I think I did watch everything on this set when it first came out in 2014, um, until preparing for this discussion, I hadn't actually taken a good look at Silent Panic and really watched it attentively. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's quite impressive. And although, it, as we say, it's not characteristic 
Harpo or Marx Brothers stuff. I think it's one of the most impressive pieces on this set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of our other uh, pieces that sort of bubbled to the surface for us on the third disc are um, another clip from the March 30th, 1952 Colgate Comedy Hour, uh, which is also another Western piece. I like this. I, I really like this. They, yeah. they finally got the Western thing right after <laughs> after several tries. I guess I'll deal so I know who's cheating around here. Hey, hey wait a minute. I'm going to deal. Yeah. Cut the cards. <laughs> you know, this is the early 50s, and, and they were still pretty close to their film personas and energy here. So... You know, th- this really works on all levels, at least for me. I, th- I think it's very clever. Yeah, it feels a lot like the Sid Caesar show to me. It's that that um, that style and and obviously that era of comedy. Uh, another great cookie and great names too: Cauliflower Pete and Tomato <laughs> Tilly. I think that's the last of our Colgate Comedy Hour clips. So this is your last chance to comment. So has this entire show ever been made available? Uh, no, I don't know what else is in that episode, but on, on this set, for one reason or another, we have three isolated clips from it rather than the whole program. I just assume since they're the guest stars of the show that they would have done an opening or something. It depends. Sometimes they some, – uh, I've been watching all the Abbott and Costello ones for the for the book I'm writing at the moment, and some of them uh, Abbott and Costello host and are uh, the main stars, and a couple others, they just turn up as guest stars doing one piece. Mm-hmm. You do have Tony Martin as well as Martha Ray um, in this sketch, so perhaps they had other solo turns on this episode. Yeah, I would think probably Martin was the host. Yeah, and yet we're a decade after the big store here. Um, and then um, even later than that, 1967, uh, sort of precious color clip of the Jackie Gleason show uh, with Groucho guesting. Um, this is a great favorite. This clip uh, used to be on YouTube. I don't think it is anymore, but it was uh, in in circulation for a while. Uh, this is another example, like some of the other items we've talked about here, just the sheer joy that Groucho shows um, yeah. performing. Um, he does put on the grease paint here. I think it's the penultimate grease paint appearance, Skidoo mm-hmm. being the final. And he does the walk until he almost drops. He says, I'm getting pretty sick of this walk. Yeah. <laughs> and as he revives almost for the last time his classic comic character, yeah. um, for material, he reaches back even farther. And he mm. and Gleason do a version of the Gallagher and Sheen song uh, with the lyrics adjusted to reflect Groucho's character and also Gleason as Reginald Van Gleason. Oh, Mr. Gleason. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mr. Gleason. I'm completely at your service, Mr. Marks. With the ladies, you're a hit. But I'm humble, you'll admit. You're as humble as a hungry school of sharks. Uh, It's it's just delightful. Groucho and Gleason are having a great time together. They break each other up more than once. There's some ad-libs and there's even some great little mistakes and flubs in it. I wonder if this is when one of them talked the other into doing skidoo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well... I think Groucho did say, didn't he, that, that he and Gleason said, I'll do it if you will. LSD or the movie? <laughs> 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 yeah, 
you know, they could have said, oh, I've just got this offer to do this film. And they'll say, oh, so have I. <laughs> yeah, well, there is obvious uh, great respect between Groucho and Gleason. They're just really happy to be up there together. Um, and uh, and I and it's touching, as with uh, some of the other um, uh, other stars who who Groucho appears with, um, and Harpo too. Throughout this set, um, you can see the Marx Brothers are revered by the comedy world uh, so thoroughly, and it's quite lovely. And then and then Groucho appears um, out of grease paint for a, a pretty good rendition of "Show Me a Rose." Show me a rose, and I'll show you a storm at sea. Show me a rose, or leave me alone. So how old is he here? He's, he's... He's 77. So it's pretty amazing, really. Yeah. A a, a very good performance. Absolutely. Yeah, some of the later items on this set, this is one example, and another one is his appearance um, on the show called One Man Show. You kind of see what it could have been like if Groucho had done the late career concerts, Carnegie Hall and stuff. If he had done him mm. just a few years earlier, mm. he was twice as sharp, you know, more yeah. than twice as sharp. Uh, we have a lot of miscellanea um, on this disc. Um, and I want to give yeah. you guys a chance to talk about whatever you, uh, whatever you'd like to. Celebrity billiards. Okay. <laughs> Let's get into it, Bob. Well, I got two takeaways from the show. First of all, Groucho is actually a pretty good pool player. I, I was pretty impressed, mm-hmm. but more importantly, Minnesota Fats is an asshole. Okay, <laughs> I did not like this guy. He he swore me. Uh, Minnesota asshole. And you notice when Groucho loses at the end, it's sort of on a technicality, and he's not particularly happy about that. And he he's also not happy that he has to give uh, whatever money he earned to charity. Yeah, Groucho is very grouchy here, and it's it's kind of uh, you get the feeling there may be some actual. I don't know, tension between Groucho and Minnesota Fats here. Yeah. Is this the five? Yeah, no, that's the five up here. That's the four ski. You got to go you down. You deliberately have different colored balls on this table, don't you, to confuse the customers. That's right. And if you're colored blind, you, don't, you won't know what you shoot. I never saw a five ball of that color. You got a stroke, a million dollar stroke. Yeah, I had one the other night. <laughs> So, forgive my ignorance, but Minnesota Fats was a real person. He's a he's not a character. He's a well, Minnesota Fats was the name of a character in you know the Paul Newman Jackie Gleason film The Hustler, which was made about I think it was sixty one, and this guy was sort of a, a semi accomplished pool player, nothing special, but he adopted that name and claimed that the character was based on him. But the uh, guy who wrote the the, the novel that the uh, movie was based on uh, denied it. And, Oh. So, you know, this guy was just sort of a con man. He, he became a celebrity off of it. Um, I'm very partial to the um, the episode of Who Said That um, from May 10th, 1955. This is a John Daly-hosted panel show where Daly would give quotes and the panel had to guess who, who was responsible for each quote. And that's it. And that's the game. <laughs> For half an hour. <laughs> yeah. But Groucho, I mean, he Groucho's great on panel shows in general, and he has a few brilliant moments here. One of my youngest daughter is uh, still in public school. When she was four, she went to kindergarten. And uh, every day when she'd come home, I'd say, uh, what did you do today in school? And children are very reluctant to tell you anything, particularly to their parents. 
She says, nothing. I says, now come now. You go to school every day from nine until three in kindergarten. What do you do there? She says, all we do is paint and go to the toilet. <laughs> Uh, there's also a sweet moment between Groucho and Daly where they talk about Harpo. Um, and Groucho makes a joke about how Harpo would be a good subject mm. for one of the quotes that's mm. um, that's on the show. Yeah, it's really great. Groucho just has uh, free reign. He was one of these guests who's allowed to disrupt the show um, and interfere with the game. We, we've seen him do that on What's My Line as well. Um, also, June Lockhart is yeah. very smart. She is... Uh, gets a lot of these questions correct. She's extremely sharp bantering with Groucho. Um, and she's also uh, alive and well. She turns 96 years old this June. There's also Carol Burnett uh, is one of the stars on the set uh, who's still with us. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. okay. Well, that's a good... What do you think of uh, the wonderful world of toys with Harpo and Carol Burnett? Well, as much as I saw... I guess it was okay. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. This was the one uh, show on the set that I couldn't sit all the way through. I'm sure it seemed fine on the drawing board or in planning, but uh, no, it's not for me. Uh, you know, I don't even know who this was for. It certainly didn't appeal to adults, and I can't imagine it, it appealed to kids either. And Harpo, you know, he gives it his all, and he his performance is fine, but you know, he looks quite elderly here. So uh, I don't know. This is hmm. this is a curiosity more than anything. Yeah, it should be. I mean, it's something with Carol Burnett and a Marx brother might have been great. Um, she is certainly, um, you know, a comedian worthy of them. But it, there is a, in this piece and several others, you do detect a sort of um, a failure of imagination in terms of providing material for Harpo. And he is often reduced to charades. Did you guys make it through the whole show? No, hardly uh, so any. It might have had the greatest last five minutes in history, but we'll never know. <laughs> I sped through it. I, this is one that I, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen the high points, let's say. It was nice to see Audrey Meadows, though. Oh, that too, yeah. yeah. As well as Eva Gabor and uh, Milton Burrow. Uh How about the Arthur Murray dance party? Groucho uh, does, has some interesting moments here. Now, which one of you guys wants to take me on? Well, now, let's see. This is Deanne Groucho. Deanne Groucho. Well, that's an interesting name. Uh, and you really know how to shake a leg? That's right, Mr. Marks. Well, I wish you'd shake this one. It's been dead for three weeks. Huh? I actually like this one. Yeah. You know, a lot of times Groucho goes on guests on these types of shows, and he's just going through the motions. But, you know, you can tell here he's really having a good time. You know, he loves dancing. We, we've seen that over and over again. And the material is actually not bad. So this is, this is actually quite enjoyable. Disc three also includes another clip from the Sunday Spectacular Inside Beverly Hills from 1956. Uh, it's a piece with um, Art Linkletter interviewing Harpo and his family at home and in color. Where, where is your family? Where are the kids? Oh, there's uh, Minnie. Any more? There's Jimmy. Any more? And there's Alex. <laughs> Well, you know, I can't wait to see Mrs. Marks. I wonder if she's going to have a wig. It was it was produced in color. Did it air in color? I think not. It says, doesn't it, in the notes somewhere, um, one of the filmed color segments from the otherwise black and white broadcast, surviving kinescopes of the show. So, I mean, if it was 1956, I mean, hardly anyone would have seen it in color, even if it was, would they? So I... 
for for some reason they shot it in color. I'm not sure why they would have done that, but uh, um, it is certainly uh, a, a gorgeous little piece of film, and, and it's and it's quite haunting the way it fades in and out now in, in this in this uh, the way it's been presented of of um, of the the degraded black and black yeah. and white footage all around it. it'd be, yeah. be very strange if that had been how it was presented. I, I presume it wasn't. Um, thanks to Mark Petty for um, for saving and, and preserving the film. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I'd seen it before in in uh, scuzzy black and white, so it was lovely to see it. Um, Bill Marx is uh, conspicuously absent. Was he away at school or something? Uh, Frat party or something. Yeah, or maybe they only had so many Harpo wigs. Uh, the, <laughs> the other three uh, Harpo children are all wearing Harpo-style wigs in this piece. I was watching it once with someone, uh, the old black and white editions of it, and uh, I said, oh, these are, these are Harpo's children. And then he said, oh, yeah, I can see, but look at the hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're his kids, so they shop at the same theatrical <laughs> costume store. <laughs> And we should note that this uh, Inside Beverly Hills is the only TV show that has Groucho, Harpo, and Chico all yes. built as appearing before the show aired. Uh, the only other one they appeared on was, of course, the Incredible Jewel Robbery, but that only was billed with uh, Harpo and Chico starring. Groucho was a surprise appearance uh, due to uh, contractual reasons. But, you know, like um, Story of Mankind, they have all three Marxes, but not together. I like to just put in a word for the the uh i've got a secret clip on this disc <laughs> yes. uh from august 17th 1955 the the one with uh chico and the block of ice yeah <laughs> it's sad it, well in a way but it's also i think the only of the of the chico uh you know personality drop-in spots that are in the, on this set where you can breathe out where you, you you can sort of get your heart out of your mouth and and just watch it because it is quite funny with the with the ice the block of ice going back and forth but the whole setup to it where they're supposed to be like talking to each other you can see chico's reading a script on the table yes yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> and once again yeah. he's rewarded with a, a carton of cigarettes as he leaves <laughs> so he went away happy <laughs> Yeah, and this this host, Don McNeil, who is guest hosting uh, in, yeah. in for Gary Moore, he looks genuinely unhappy to be holding this block mm. of ice. And, he really uh, does, doesn't he? Yeah. That's a little taste of the old days. I mean, he, a Marx brother making someone genuinely uncomfortable, um, and he has to keep up his, you know, game show host good humor, but he's obviously cold yeah. and wet. <laughs> Personally, I would have preferred Thelma Tide host this segment. <laughs> ah, yes, that Iceman stuff leaves me cold. <laughs> um, any thoughts about Candid Camera with Harpo hiding in a soda machine? This is one of those things that's always talked about as being a classic, but when you actually see it, it's it's really nothing special. To me, the highlight is uh, Alan Funt uh, accosting a woman at the end of the clip by uh, trying to get her to look at the camera. You're on television! <laughs> Um, on the Martha Ray show, Harpo plays Take Me Out to the Ball Game on the harp, yeah. apparently on purpose. Nobody slipped that into his score without his knowledge. <laughs> also on this disc, we've got the Skidoo trailer. Mm-hmm. Can't miss it. Um, the uh, Familiar to the fans, Right Guard Deodorant commercial with Groucho and Chuck McCann from 1972. Hi, guy. That's funny. My TV reception was never this good. 
Hey, you're new. Not really. I just wear well. Hey, you use right guard, too, huh? The super dry one, huh? Really does a job stopping wetness, they say. <laughs> Who does? Me? I use the deodorant right guard. <laughs> you know, one shot, and I'm good for the whole day. More than one shot, and I'm not good for anything. We've also, of course, got the um, the Dick Cavett clip with the, the cast of uh, uh, Minis Boys. Um, yes. Which which really I think is is a is a podcast in itself, isn't it? But yeah. uh, it's certainly uh, very very good to uh, to have it there. I heard that you Before went to the theater last night and saw yourself. So to, have you ever Don't seen? Don't change your... the subject. What did you have to eat in Washington? <laughs> a couple of shrimp. Uh, some anyone s- I know. <laughs> <laughs> No, but a couple of meatballs asked about you. <laughs> That's your style. You see, I never would have said that if I hadn't heard you talk that way. Mm-hmm. You've influenced a lot of people. Yeah. That's kind of ironically you sit here and pull a bad joke and then blame me for it. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of good stuff. I, I, I guess that's almost the whole show. It's, it's um, categorized on the disc as being one of the clips rather than one of the complete shows, but it's almost an hour long and there's a lot to it. Yeah, there seems and, to be a, a blurry line between clips and shows because some of the things yeah. advertised as shows are just clips and vice versa. That's right, yeah. And of course, the almost unbearably poignant beds. Yes, one of the very last pieces of film on Groucho Marx, mm-hmm. um, a promotional film for the book, the re-release of the book Beds in 1976, with Groucho and George Fenneman. Filmed almost literally in his deathbed. Yeah. <laughs> with his very, very soft voice, and uh, he's, he's got a big um, bow tie or something, hasn't he, or, or um, something around his neck, uh, like a big floppy tie, and he looks, he looks like, a, like a dying clown but very very sweet i mean what what you really get from that is is the uh the love of of fenneman for for groucho yeah and vice versa too groucho uh, cracks a couple of big sincere uh maybe slightly melancholy smiles uh, in fenneman's direction and yeah it's beautiful yeah uh well, all right i guess that is disc number three and that's it for bob <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Actually, I'm okay. Uh, I should explain. Uh, when this set first came out, I hesitated just like a week or so, and before I knew it, the, the bonus disc uh, was gone. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it anymore. But uh, you know, I lucked out because one of our loyal listeners uh, actually forwarded me a copy of the material on the set, so I'm able to uh, partake in the rest of the show. Okay. So yeah, we we. We must say, as we said earlier in the show, this bonus disc is one that um, some of our listeners will will have and be familiar with. But it's something that if you didn't grab it in the summer of 2014, it's pretty hard to get your hands on. You might find one on eBay or something, but um, uh, your your best bet is to find a friend who's got it and uh, ingratiate yourself. Or look for the individual clips. Yeah, or look for the clips. But I think if this disc had been one of the three discs in the you know proper collection it might have been my favorite there really is an awful lot of good stuff on it mm-hmm. yeah um starting with um i guess i differ slightly with you matthew i uh, i like papa romani a little better than the college bowl oh yeah um of the two chico sitcoms it's um, better in itself i think i just have a have a you know there's something about the college bowl 
grabbed, you know. But I love, I love Papa Romani as well. I absolutely love it. Who's it was him? It wasn't Frank. Well, who's it was? It wasn't a Frank. It must be somebody. Wrong number. How can it be wrong number? It's a new telephone. Yeah, this is very engaging. It's really pretty interesting. It's got great chemistry within the cast. Uh, it almost feels like an old two-reel comedy. Yes. Um, Chico's character is very well-rounded and still funny. It almost feels like an extension of his uh, film character, like him 20 years down the line. Yes, uh, that's very true. And yet, it, it's also kind of distinctive from that character. He's he's doing something a little differently here. And um, it's a very, you know, in 1950 anyway, I would think an encouraging new direction is what this could have indicated. I think it's his best and most distinctive performance outside of the Marx Brothers movies. Um, as in the College Bowl, he's a little more explicitly Italian here, but because he's playing this character, this kind of patriarch of a, a poor, big city Italian family, he's surrounded, he's in a milieu which matches him. So he's not an alien, an, an other figure here. Um, he's delightful. And there's a lot of, yeah, as you say, a lot of talk, a lot of chemistry, a lot of overlapping dialogue. It feels hmm. a lot like theater. And this old film trait of misunderstanding things is sort of reworked here into a believable character trait, and it's yes. actually used as, as a plot device that really moves the uh, the action along. So, you know, they, they, they've they done their homework here and made it a legitimate Chico Marx character dealing with the real world. Yeah, it's really interesting. Oh, then The story is built around the family getting their first telephone, which is, which is an interesting plot device in itself. Um, toward the end of the episode, Chico tells a long story about how he got arrested and, and what happened, uh, which is great. It might be Chico's best sustained comedy performance since the uh, the tale of the aviators in A Night at the Opera. Yeah, he's, he's full of energy, isn't he? And he's got all the lines down. And, it, and it's actually at a time when um, he had been quite ill, hadn't he? He'd had a heart attack the year before and had actually announced his retirement um and then and then very quickly retracted it when it you know the the financial <laughs> implications of that kind of sunk in and he and he sort of dragged himself back to work and this is you know very very soon after that and he's in great form yeah he's got a great cast you got William Frawley and Margaret Hamilton I mean those are top notch supporting players even the kids are pretty good and yeah. and and it uh you know he he seems much more vital here than he did one year ago in Love Happy mm um, I think it's it's terrific, and I think it's a bit of a loss that there aren't more of these. They they only made two, and apparently the other one is really. I, I didn't know that. You know what would have been great? Let me let me dream here for a minute. Imagine this had come become a regular series. You could have had Groucho in some sort of recurring role as like you know an upstairs neighbor, Grouchy upstairs neighbor. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Harpo is like the janitor. Yeah, yeah. So so this is actually the second one, isn't it? I always thought huh. it was the first one, but no, it's the second oh. one. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's really quite something. And, and, you know, Chico is obviously working here, too. He's not showing up for the paycheck and kind of faking his way through a TV show. He's he's acting. He's playing mm. a character here. He's given it thought. And he's excellent. I, I was very pleasantly surprised by this. Yeah, he didn't do this one for a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we can leave the Romanis and head back to Hollywood. Um there's two clips here on this disc from two episodes of The Hollywood Palace, one year apart, mm -hmm. both 
both gold. Um, the first is March 14th, 1964. This is a Dr. Hackenbush sketch and song. Really, I am desperate. I don't know what to do. You must help me. My, my limbs feel funny. My roots hurt. And well, I'm just shaking like a leaf. Madam, you don't need a doctor. You need a tree surgeon. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You come back in the morning and I'll prune you. Oh. <laughs> well, I always have prunes in the morning. I've got a good mind not to let you look at me. Madam, if you had a good mind, you wouldn't have come here at all. <laughs> now, is that sketch, is that original material? Because it's quite I've good. I've heard him do, it is very good. I've heard him do the same material on a radio appearance. Huh. A, a similar thing on the radio where he does a doctor sketch and then sings Dr. Hackenbush. Yes. And a lot of the same jokes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as I said, I think for me, this is a slightly superior performance of the song Dr. Hackenbush compared to the Swift show wagon version from nine years earlier. I'm Dr. Hackenbush, which all my friends will verify. Well, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Dr. Hackenbush. He's Dr. Hackenbush. I'm Dr. Hackenbush. You never would guess, but nevertheless, I'm Dr. Hackenbush. And as I said before, it's just incredible how limber and agile he is at this age. You know, we often talk about how old and elderly he became in his 80s, but we overlook how vital he was physically in his 70s, up until his late 70s. And this is the perfect case. You know, he's climbing on chairs, he's bouncing around, he's actually moving yeah. around like a much younger man. Yeah, he's terrific. And, uh, and, and the Dr. Hackenbush thing served him well. I mean, there isn't really a, a connection between what he's doing here and the plot of A Day at the Races. But the notion of Groucho as a doctor was powerful. And um, you could imagine a television audience associating Groucho with the medical profession, Mm -hmm. even if they hadn't seen A Day at the Races. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other Hollywood Palace clip, perhaps even more precious, is from April of 1965 and features, uh, in her only appearance on this collection, Margaret Dumont. A very strange mixture, isn't it, of the original um, dialogue and, and uh, setup of animal crackers and lots of new, uh, new interpolations. You know, a lot of times on the set, we've seen Groucho ad-libbing his way through, admittedly, mediocre material, you know, mediocre skits. But here he's ad-libbing on top of classic material, really great material. And he's keeping up with it. He's adding to it. And that sort of brings to mind the famous story of uh, George S. Kaufman uh, talking to somebody backstage at one of their shows and going, hold, hold on a second. I think I heard one of the original lines. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is, must have been what it was like to see Groucho on Broadway performing Animal yeah. Crackers. And it's a tantalizing glimpse of what it might have been like if they had gone ahead with that idea to do Animal Crackers on television. Mm-hmm. There's also some wonderful moments where Margaret Dumont is definitively and obviously laughing at Groucho's jokes, including his ad-libs that she's um, presumably hearing for the first time. Um, this is is the nail in the coffin uh, as far as the idea that she, she didn't get the jokes. Uh, she's pretending. She, she hasn't yeah. got a clue. Yeah. <laughs> Considering what happened a few days later, are you sure you want to use oh, that? <laughs> good point. Yeah, she did get the jokes. But she died uh, between tape and air, didn't she? And apparently new lyrics had to be written for Captain Spaulding to uh, replace the questionable original lyrics. He is the only hunter who ever shot a rhino. 
I think this name's a wine I guess this is sort of like when the Rolling Stones appeared on Ed Sullivan and they couldn't say, let's spend the night together and they changed it. Uh, it's the same deal here, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is a pity. Uh, we've said before that, that, that it is only only clips. I mean, Bob, uh, you, you said there could well be a, a rights and permissions issue and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that's correct. But it, it is a shame because that whole show is is good. The, the, um, the Hackenbush one... Uh, but, both of them are, are available on, on uh, I presume, uh, illegal uh, so-called public domain editions, and you're not missing too much from from the Hackenbush one. But the uh, the other one is is uh, there's lots of good stuff on it with uh, Groucho and Melinda. They have a little spot together. They do a song together. Uh, Melinda does a song of her own, um, and also Melinda very very charmingly introduces the uh, the Animal Cracker sketch, which which we don't get here. No. Um, so. Yeah. It it is uh, you know it, it is worth going down the illegal route and and finding that show because it is it is a, a great show. The opinions expressed by Matthew Conium are his own and do not reflect those of the A couple of moments I want to mention are that uh, uh, when Margaret Dumont sings one line in mm. the song, she she doesn't do her her part in uh, "For My Sake You Must Stay." Mm. The chorus sings that, and and you sort of wonder for a moment, ah, oh, she didn't want to sing, mm. huh? Um, but then she does she does join in on "He Put All His Reliance." Um, she has a solo line there, and Groucho grins yeah. and he says, "Sing it, Margie." Yeah, yes, <laughs> Margie Rittenhouse apparently. Yes, <laughs> which is a wonderful moment between them. Um, also, um, when Groucho does the elephant in my pajamas joke, here he does it the often misquoted way, how he got in my pajamas, I'll never know. Um, you know, most people, when they quote this joke, that's what they say, how he got in my pajamas, I'll never know. Um, but in Animal Crackers, the line is, how I got in my pajamas, I don't know. Um, anyway, here Groucho confuses the matter by... He's doing the misquote, but it is Groucho doing it. He's so. heard people repeat it back to him so many times yeah. the wrong way. That he, <laughs> he just adopted it. Yeah. I suppose so. Um, well, uh, there's a few more pieces on this bonus disc. The one that we uh, we selected to talk about in detail is one of those pieces on this set that is uh, an exception to the rule, not, not really a piece of television uh, from one of the Marx Brothers, but a very interesting interview with Maxine Marx um, in her apartment in New York, done in 1971 for WTAR television in Norfolk, Virginia. Very Natalie dressed, all in green. Yes. She's maybe trying to evoke her father a little bit. She's wearing <laughs> a short jacket with that's partly green and vertical stripes and wide lapels. Much like uh, Minnesota Fats, I did not care for this interviewer. She, she, she interrupted a few times when uh, Maxine was trying to go into some more detail. <laughs> the interviewer has one moment, though, that is hilarious to me. I, I could watch it over and over again. So your father, Chico, and Harpo are both gone. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, Zeppo and Virgil are still living. And Gummo. Huh? And Gummo. Gummo. I, I don't remember Gummo. He was the original fourth Marx brother. <laughs> Uh, I also really like Maxine's moment when the, the interviewer says uh, that Harpo 
in his his character in the films, he was sort of a dodo, is the way she puts yeah. it. But she says, I've heard that he was a very sharp man intellectually. Maxine says, not true. <laughs> she says he was very gifted, but no, not an intellectual. I absolutely love and I'm baffled by her response when she's asked Groucho's age. Well, now, Groucho, of course, is in his 80s now. I 81 um, and a half. <laughs> Yeah, everything we, we know about Maxine is on display here. She is funny. She is sweet. She is also a little prickly. She's very no-nonsense. Mm-hmm. She's a Marx. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's very, very... You, you, you could easily imagine yourself getting on the wrong side of her and, uh, and knowing about it. I still can't understand what the point of this interview was. Uh, this station from Virginia sent this reporter up to speak to Maxine about what exactly... It's not like she had a, a book coming out or something to plug, right? Yeah, it's hard to tell. And it, it, it seems very much like raw footage rather yeah. than something edited for broadcast. But from what they say at the beginning, I, maybe it was to be part of a, a package about the children of celebrities. Mm-hmm. Uh, the conversation starts off with on that topic mm-hmm. about uh, what it's like to be a child of someone famous. Um, anyway, it's a good document, yeah. a good little slice of Marx Brothers history to have this conversation with Maxine. And it's fairly long and, and detailed. She also talks about her own career as a um, casting television commercials. Um, and you can also hear a flute playing in the next apartment, which might be <laughs> sometimes on this podcast, you hear what what you hear through the walls of a New York City apartment. <laughs> Um, and some of the other items on this disc are um, a little piece with Groucho and Fenneman encouraging people to vote mm-hmm. in 1956. Um, the Christophers, it's your serve. Okay. <laughs> Take it away, Bob. Okay, excuse me, folks, but this show is the definition of what the fuck? What's going on here? You know, I couldn't figure out why Harpo was on this, what the point of his appearance was. And then I got to the end of the show, believe it or not, and I was watching the closing credits and I saw it was directed by Phil Rapp. And those who are in the know realize that Phil Rapp was the writer of Deputy Seraph, uh, their aborted uh, last TV project. But he was a big Marx fan. Apparently, he cajoled uh, uh, Harpo into appearing in this uh, anti-Semitic uh, show. <laughs> No, Can I I'm just say kidding. congratulations on getting as far as the closing credits? <laughs> <laughs> Did I say I watched it at normal speed? <laughs> <laughs> this was a quote-unquote inspirational program hosted by Father James Keller of the Christophers, a, um, a religious group in California. Harpo plays some tennis and plays the harp. And the premise of the show is tennis and... The Christophers, what's the tie-in? I don't get it. It's, I guess it was an attempt to sort of spread this, um, this religious message within the context of what was supposed to be a mainstream television variety show. Um, and there are other, other celebrity guests here, and uh, I guess that's the idea. But it's so they thought, we wanna, we've got our religious message, and we want to we wanna get it to as big an audience as possible what can we what can be used to do that and somebody said i've got it tennis is that is that what happened (laughs) 
I think that is what happened. Right. Okay. Anyway, that's a curiosity. That's that's um, if if you don't have the bonus disc, concentrate on that. <laughs> um, and then there's this piece from a program called One Man Show. Um, this was mentioned in the council group on Facebook recently. Yeah, the entire show has uh, come to light recently. But to be honest, it doesn't really offer much in the way of entertainment. Groucho is going through the motions here. He's reading, you know, off cue cards. And, you know, it's nice to see him healthy still, but uh, uh, you could pass on this. You're not missing anything. Yeah, that's about right. It's uh, late in 1969. There are some shots of the audience. Um, it's a very brightly lit room with a small audience in it. And the whole audience is, you know, like 18 years old. Groucho's wearing his golf ball cap from the Cavett show. Mm. But you do wish, since he's there and he's pretty sharp here, you know, if he would if he would do some of the Carnegie Hall material here, we'd really get a nice version of it, wouldn't we? You bet your sweet bippy. Um, well, guys, I think somehow we might have gotten through that in two hours. Um, is there uh, is there any uh, any summing up? Um, any any overview or? Um, what do you what do you come away with from this collection? Well, even though we think of them as the Marx Brothers team, you know, we have to look at this individually because they didn't really do much together on TV. You know, Groucho obviously had the big success with You Bet Your Life, and Harpo did whatever he felt like. You know, he was happy just being a guest on other people's shows and doing whatever projects struck him as interesting. But I feel bad for Chico because he was really looking for that series. And, you know, he never found the perfect one. It's not that the things we saw here, you know, College Ball and Papa Romani weren't good, but they just didn't uh, succeed for whatever reason. I just wish that he had found that success that Groucho did. And obviously, I wish we could have had more of them together in groupings, but uh, maybe that's better left to our imagination. Yeah, it's really true. And I think that is an important thing about going into this collection um, because um, because it is so superlative and there is so much gold on it and there's so much stuff that will be unfamiliar to even the most avid fan of their films. Um, but you do have to go into it with the understanding that it's there's very little team stuff on this set um, and that that was um, and that's Groucho's decision. And while there was talk of a follow-up to this set, uh, apparently that's not going to happen. Um, Robert Bader claims that he does have enough material for another multi-disc set, uh, so hopefully he'll find another way to put it out, uh, streaming or who knows. But, uh, you know, you could think about some of the things that were left off this one that maybe will come out in the future, like Groucho on, on The Tonight Show, and, you know, he was on a, a Marty Feldman show in England in 1971, which was really good. You know, you might want to look for that one. Uh, yeah. You know, so maybe someday we'll be seeing some more of this. Yeah. Tony Awards. I think the biggest gap is is Time for Elizabeth, which he did on television uh, in uh, in the mid-60s, um, partly because, again, it's another example of him doing uh, a, an acting role, a sustained acting role, but also, of course, because uh, it was such a, a, strangely, such a huge part of his professional life, and uh, it was something he co-wrote, uh, and something that uh, he toured often um, uh, on stage, doing it on stage, and uh, it's it's a very unprepossessing piece. It's not, it's not in 
in any way unlikable. It's uh, it's very charming and and pleasant, but it's 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 very light, uh, and yet you know it's something that he that he carried with him for for many many years, and and he did a you know a, a pretty decent uh, color color TV uh, fil- filmed TV version of it. Would be nice to be nice to get a, get that in uh, in good good condition. Um, well, it is. Um, I think among other things, what is really interesting about this uh, collection is just to see them still at it. This is a show business career that began at the very dawn of the 20th century uh, when Groucho showed up for his first professional audition in 1905. Um, He really had no reason to think that, you know, five, six, and even seven decades later, um, he would be a star in a medium yet undreamt of. Groucho said some amusing, disparaging things about television later in his career. Um, the most famous line is, you know, I, television's very educational. As soon as someone turns it on, I go in the other room and read a book. <laughs> um, but he also talked about television as the new vaudeville, and he recognized it as a place where the kind of variety entertainment that he had entered his professional life doing um, could really thrive and you see them reviving so much of their uh, vaudeville selves um, in various pieces throughout this set. I guess my biggest regret is that there wasn't a, a Zeppo celebrity roast. <laughs> that would have been something. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us yet again for our 35th episode. We will be back next month as always. And uh, next month, uh, we're going to talk about the Marx Brothers. So you're not going to want to miss that. Well, it's off to Wikipedia for me. <laughs> Bob, you have uh, plucked a juicy apple from the tree for our final closing music today, haven't you? Oh, yes. This is something I think everybody is, well, some some of you are going to, well, I enjoyed. <laughs> Don't say we didn't warn you, folks. <laughs> conclusion, may I remind each one of you that God has put a power for good in you that he's put in nobody else. He's put a bit of the missionary in you. And he wants you to do everything in your power to change the world for the better. Do it through love. Don't do it through fear. Through love of what is right, not fear of what is wrong. And I've been asked to read for you in conclusion little excerpt out of our booklet, Why the Christophers. It's just emphasizing the positive. Remember what Paul the Apostle said, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. And here are these little recommendations. We're looking for more people to improve, fewer merely to disapprove. More doers, fewer talkers. More to say it can be done, fewer to say it can't be done. More to inspire others with confidence, 
fewer to throw cold water on anyone taking even one step in the right direction. More to get into the thick of things and do something about it. Fewer to sit on the sidelines merely finding fault. More to point out what's right with the world. Fewer to keep harping on what's wrong with it. More to be interested in lighting candles. Fewer in blowing them out. In other words, in the recommendation of the Christophers, what we keep repeating all the time, better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. God bless each and every one of you. The Marx Brothers Council podcast is hosted by Matthew Conium, Noah Diamond, and Bob Gassell, and is produced and edited by Bob Gassell. Matthew Cunningham's books, The Annotated Marx Brothers, and That's Me, Groucho, are published by McFarland. Noah Diamond's book, Give Me a Thrill, The Story of All Say She Is, is published by Bear Manor Media. Both can be found at major book outlets. For more info on this and all episodes, visit our website at MarxBrothersCouncilPodcast.com. Also look for us on Twitter. And for the place to talk Marx and meet fellow fans, join us on the lively Marx Brothers Council Facebook group. See you next time!